everyone. Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. We are here this week with a special group episode live from the glorious mountain town of Steamboat Springs, Colorado. So why are we here, you wonder? Well, because it's time for another Cycling Tips field test, and I'm here with the rest of our test crew to fill you in on what we're testing here and what to expect once we start rolling out our content right after the Tour de France, uh, the men's Tour de France, I should say. Nods of approval I see from the rest of the table here. <laughs> Joining me here physically for once is Cycling Tips Senior Tech Editor Dave Rome. Hi, Dave. Hello, James. We'll check in on your hand in just a minute. Mm. Those of you who have been with us for previous field test events will remember that we always have four testers. So also joining Dave and myself is VeloNews Senior Editor and Endurance Gravel Racer Extraordinaire, Betsy Welch. Hi, Betsy. Hello. And last but certainly not least, we have pro racer on sabbatical, barrier bunny hopper, and newly aspiring farmer, Ellen Noble. <laughs> Hi, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and last but certainly not least, whoops, sorry, I said that right. Also playing a pivotal role are our two videographers who will not be on this podcast today, unfortunately, Phil Golston and Aiden Baird, who are actually out grocery shopping for the crew right now. Stocking up on Oreos because this crew has a strange thing for Oreos. Ellen introduced me to gluten-free Oreos, which is not a thing in Australia. So well, I'm riding my bike. I'm riding more bikes than I'd plan to, so I can eat more Oreos. <laughs> well, and we also have a thing here where, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty common these days now when you get a group of people together that there are certain dietary restrictions. And two of you are gluten-free. Mm -hmm. You are both. I think you're, are you both dairy free? Is that right? I'm questionably dairy free. Mm, yeah, I'm unfortunate. Dave becomes an unpleasant person I, I'm if, on he, like, gets, if yeah. he gets dairy in I, it. I'm, I'm lucky if I'm allowed water. Mm. There's not a lot of things I can eat these days. But you can drink rosé. Rosé. <laughs> and, and this podcast is basically unofficially sponsored by LaCroix Fizzy Water, Fizzy water oh, which right. I affectionately refer to as millennial water. I love thanks that. To, mm -hmm, thanks to, well, I didn't invent that term. I didn't come up with it. That came from uh, Pink Bikes editorial director, Brian Park. So Brian, thank you for that, your, your eternal contribution. Uh, for this year's field test, we have 10 bikes in the group. We've got four road and six gravel bikes. And while three of them are on the pricier end of the spectrum at around four to five-ish thousand dollars US, rest of the bikes are all actually well south of $2,500. And one is actually just 800 bucks. Uh, running down the list, we've got a Cannondale Synapse Carbon. We have the Glauf Siegla Weekend Warrior. Lightspeed Shirahala 105, the Marin Nicasio 2, the Ridley Conzo A, the Salsa Journeyer Apex 1, the Scott Speedster 30, the State Bicycle Company 6061 Black Label All Road, the Trivan RC120, and the Vast A1. Hmm, I'm, I, I wish you all could see Dave's face right now because... Let's just say we've already had several days of testing under our belts here, and some of the bikes are shining a little more brightly than others. I was told to um, not hate so much on just one bike. Share the hate around. So there's that. There's going to be plenty of hate to go around <laughs> mm. in, this, in, in, in this group of bikes, I, I, I'd there say. There are some, some weak points. There are some weak points, and mm. they're actually some of the bikes have been pretty surprising. Yes, there have and been some positive. Yeah, hate is a strong word. I'm not sure I... Ellen's looking at me like she definitely hated. I was going to say, I'm not sure I hated anything. <laughs> I, I don't think I hated anything either. I'm just saying that hate's a strong word that I think Dave understands the implication of the word hate. And I, th I think he, I think he meant it. 
I really have sent some hate coming from <laughs> the other side of the table on a couple of these. Yeah. There's there's one of the bikes. There's there's a couple of bikes. There's a there's a theme of uh safety critical things not working the way they should, mm-hmm. which I feel is a big issue. But well, yeah. We certainly do have a lot of opinions already after just a few days. Uh again, some some positive, some uh less than positive, or I guess we should say less than ideal mm-hmm. to, to pay homage to our recent podcast guest, Raul Lusher from uh, Lusher Technique in, is he, is he in Melbourne? Yeah, he's in Melbourne. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, as I mentioned, we are going to be rolling out all this content in written and video form uh, after the men's Twitter fronts. So uh, actually, it might be after the women's Twitter fronts as well. Uh, I'm not sure on the exact date, but it's going to be sometime in August. Um, but... Uh, in the meantime, we're here all week testing these bikes, gathering up our thoughts, shooting a whole bunch of photo and video. Uh, I don't want to give away a whole lot about what we think of these bikes just yet because I mean, we have to save that for later. Uh, but in the meantime, I kind of wanted to give you a little bit of background on all of our testers here because, well, I mean, I think, I mean, we'll, we'll talk, I mean, Dave and I will we'll talk about ourselves a little bit, but... Uh, for people, regular listeners of Nerd Alert, I mean, you really haven't heard a whole lot at all from Betsy and really haven't heard a whole lot from Ellen. So I kind of want to start with you, Betsy. Oh, I'm getting I'm getting the, the, the evil looks right now. Uh, Betsy, why does it seem like you are completely incapable of just going on short bike rides? Because it's really fun and I get excited and summer is fleeting and I don't know. Do you suffer from FOMO? Yes, I d- definitely do. I wouldn't even really say that you suffer from FOMO. Like you, like you were definitely like a, like it's, I mean, you, you definitely strike me as like a, like a seize the day kind of person. Yeah. I mean, today is the longest day of the year. Like how was I not going to go on? It wasn't even that long of a ride. It was just like three hours. Um, but that's a short ride for Betsy. After we had done quite a bit of filming on bikes. <laughs> After she had ridden seven bikes yesterday, or was it eight? Here's the thing. It's noisy out there in the world, right? And I'm a writer, and my job is to like think about stories, listen to the noise, translate the noise. And sometimes I just want quiet. And like that's also one of the reasons I love riding my bike. Um, it's quiet, and I get to sort of check out. And I don't know, maybe the length of my rides is um, directly proportionate to how long I need to check out for. That would be a bad sign because recently I checked out for 26 hours. On another slightly long-ish bike ride? Yeah. How long was that bike ride? 353 miles. That's a very long bike ride, Betsy. Yeah. And if I remember correctly, when you were talking about it, I think you said that it like kind of didn't really feel like that big of a deal. Is that correct? Well, no, it was definitely a big deal, but it's like, you're so in the moment. Like it's such an adventure that sort of every, every hour is something new. Um, so I was just really caught up in that and I never ended up alone. And I think being alone would have been like a whole different experience with a lot more time to think about being alone. So what what surprised me most is when most people do Unbound XL, they don't then do a short track race three days later. Oh, God. Do you, see, now you guys are making me sound really like a freak. I, no, no. Not, I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I am bringing all this stuff purely out of like pure admiration because yeah. if I were to try and do any of that, I, I'm pretty positive I would be in the hospital right now. Mm-hmm. Or like all your bikes would be for sale. 
<laughs> or I would just hate bikes. That'd be a yes. really great garage sale on right, right. now. <laughs> but you guys can do plenty of things that I can't do. So it's like, it works out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one of the things about riding a whole lot and kind of using a bike as a way to kind of shut out the noise, um, and this is applicable to testing too, because I think when you're out on long bike rides, I think it's almost more important in those cases that the bike is not supposed to be necessarily part of the experience at that point, right? Because like, ideally in that, in that sort of situation, the bike is really kind of supposed to just disappear, right? Yeah, totally. And would you say that, I mean, a good bike kind of disappears underneath you and then? Yeah, I noticed that with the testing and I was telling Dave, I think like I'd come home from testing and be like, shoot, I don't think I have anything to say about this, but that actually says something, Mm. which is like that the bike was so good. It didn't, you know, nothing bothered me or nothing like stood out. Um, I've often said that about saddles, like the good, Mm -hmm. the best saddle is the one that I have nothing to say about. Right. Or like shoes and helmets sure. and stuff like that. Yeah. Like all that stuff Anything. is supposed yeah. to just completely That you disappear. forget your testing on. That you forget it's new. It's yeah. just, just and, becomes part of it. And there were a couple of those this week, which was nice. Uh, which is kind of funny because, I mean, I think there's another common theme here that uh, I'll get to in a minute. But I know, so when I was putting together all this stuff, all the, the crew for this year's field test, um, like historically, we've sort of had like two groups of two. We've had... Like Dave and I usually riding a, a bunch of group, uh, a bunch of bikes, and then we've had Kaylee. Um, and uh, the first year we did field test, it was Abby. Uh, it was another. That was a second group that was testing another group of bikes. And then Dave, you had a similar situation when you mm-hmm. were uh, doing the field test in yeah. Victoria. Yeah, was it? these these selfish people not like not growing to the same height as us, <laughs> or not shrinking, as the case may be. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Like. Like pick a bike size and it should be mine and stick with it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that's what it comes down to is it's hard to find people at the exact same height, so you end up having different size bikes to match the testers. So you kind of have to normally split it. Right. So anyway, my point being this time around, um, I mean Betsy, when I would talk to you about this, I like I kind of sensed a little bit of a little bit of hesitation because I mean tech's not really usually your beat. And uh, I don't. I don't think that is necessarily a, a, a bad thing to talk about. But just because tech isn't necessarily your beat doesn't necessarily mean that you don't understand bikes or understand what you do and don't like about bikes. Because ultimately, the reason why we're all here is because, I mean, yeah, we can ride bikes, whatever. But the whole point is being able to kind of di- dissect these bikes and figure out what we like and what we don't like, right? Yeah. And. I'd say you're pretty good at that. So I think you're selling yourself a little short. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, I do love to ride bikes and observe bikes. I'm just, I get a little self-conscious that sometimes I don't have quite the right, you know, the words, the techie words, or mm. you guys are just so good at it. But yeah, there was one of the bikes that you really liked that you said you just like kind of forgot about it, that I basically said the exact same thing. And thankfully, I'm not the one writing it. So James is the one that has to come up with the words for it. Oh, that is the <laughs> one that I have to uh, <laughs> Well, uh, Dave, mm-hmm. since you decided to chime in, mm. uh, I feel like just by virtue of you and I working at Cycling Tips and the sorts of things that we typically cover at CT, people are kind of under the general impression that we're all kind of hardcore roadies, <laughs> and that's all we do. Uh, what sort of riding do you really do? Uh, triathlon, actually. 
Uh, no, that's sorry. A lot of people would be like, "Oh, yes," but no, actually, <laughs> I do not do triathlon. I'm sorry to disappoint. When was uh, the last time you actually had your hands on a set of aerial bars on a bike that you were riding? It was a. It actually wasn't that long ago. It was a week ago, and I was helping. I was helping um, get one to work, and uh, and it still didn't work the way I wanted it to. Well, that just means you're an incompetent mechanic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was an old one, so yeah, that was like the days of um, bottom bracket mounted rim brake and oof, um, oof. all sorts of nasty things. And anyway, um, prior to that, it was a long time. But um, no, I like you, James. I prefer flat bars and suspension. Uh, mountain biking is sort of where my passion is, and that has naturally. Uh, in the past led to training on the road uh, and then racing on the dirt. And then I guess the the movement of gravel is seeing the two converge. Which is why we're here. Yeah. Uh, Dave, tell me about skids. Skids are normally great. Uh, we, we had a, a lot of fun. I was doing some fishtails and then it, the whole group got in on the fishtails. And then I was on... One of the bikes that I used the hate the H word for earlier, yeah, and uh, I knew the tires were not suitable. They're kind of a slick tire, and we're on very much like a what would you call it? Describe that gravel as pea gravel, like it's thicker than the pea gravel. That gravel was exceptionally loose, sort of like Sand if you were to take, yeah, if you were to take like a few hundred thousand marbles, yeah, and drop them on your concrete floor or something, yeah. and then start running around on them, it was kind of like that. Yeah, and I kind of was like, I don't want to skid in this section. Let's do it on one of the smoother sections. And then they set up the camera in the section I didn't want to skid in. I'm like, oh yeah, let's do it. And it just didn't go to plan. And now I have a nice bandage on my hand, and thankfully. Betsy's a nurse or was a nurse in a past career. So, um, yeah, so that didn't go to plan. Um, but skids are great. You should do skids. Um, just not on handmade mountain bike trails. Do them on <laughs> fire trails. Or or gravel roads that are exceptionally sketchy with absolutely yeah. zero traction on yeah. tires that are maybe not quite appropriate for the surface. Yeah, just, just make sure you've got some traction to back up and that you don't just end up body slamming into the ground. Mm, okay. Okay. Well, mm. uh, last in our group here, Ellen, you are, I think, I think I'm going to describe you as sort of like our hired gun for the event because, and I mean that in a good way, um, because while you are not necessarily a professional bike tester, you are a pro racer on sabbatical. I think that's how you describe yourself. That's correct. Um, and not only that, but you are also a pro racer in multiple disciplines. And, uh, but for the past five years, you've been a sponsored rider for Trek, exclusively for Trek, and you've really only been riding Trek bikes. Uh, however, you wouldn't necessarily know that from, I would say, the really, really awesome feedback that you've been giving us this week on the bikes and your ability to, I think, pretty adeptly dissect kind of what you like and what you don't like, what you're feeling, what you're kind of what you're, what you're picking up on. What do you think about testing bikes in general? Because it sounds like it's not really something that you really did a whole lot of. Yeah, it's not something that I'm super experienced in. Um, but I think coming from especially the sport of cyclocross and then I think like transitioning into mountain biking as kind of like the underdog, I have had to really focus on the smaller details. So I've never been the strongest or the fastest rider um, in the race, but focusing really strongly on technical riding and then on my equipment setup is like where I was kind of making up that difference. And so, although I have been riding for Trek, 
um, yeah, like exclusively for five years, uh, I still know like how to set up those bikes in a way that makes them feel really good. And even, uh, you know, a five mil, uh, spacer like under your stem will make a difference for me. And I'll be able to notice that, um, when I'm setting up. That's what surprised me most about you is like, I'm kind of used to seeing world tour pros who some I've seen like adjust their own saddle. I'm like, Oh, you're doing that wrong. Um, and you kind of just like picked up the tools and started changing out stems, adjusting headsets. You'll, yeah, you're like really getting in there and just, you know, we'll completely hands off and you're just doing your own thing. Like just swapping out stems, making them the right length for you. And, um, yeah, it was quite interesting to see that. So yeah, you kind of knew your numbers as you rode, like as you ride, you knew what you wanted the bike to measure as. And it was, um, yeah, you were very quick to, to change some, some of those components out to swap some saddles and stuff. You've definitely been doing that quite a few years. Which kind of makes <laughs> me have. wonder a little bit if this might not be the first and last time we have Ellen or something <laughs> like mm-hmm. Well, I'm definitely enjoying it. And I think kind of getting, kind of having that opportunity to nerd out about some of the details has really, um, yeah, has really been a treat for me, especially coming from riding bikes that like I genuinely love for the last five years, getting to see sort of like what else is out there and and especially like riding these um, like more affordable, like lower end bikes has been so interesting to me. Like I've always been so fortunate and like privileged to ride these top of the line bikes, prototype bikes. Um, You know, I was a part of the team that developed the Trek Super Caliber, which was like not developed. um, That's not the right word. Uh, I was a part of the team that rode the the prototypes um, of the prototypes, yeah. and so we had the the sleeve over the the shock and everything. Uh, and so, like being kind of part of that part of the sport at that time, to then come here and ride some of the like lower level parts and stuff like that, and kind of see like where some things are just a little bit superfluous, and then some things you really see are like, oh my god, uh, if I'm allowed to say this, like. Um, hydraulic brakes versus mechanical disc brakes. Like that is such a huge difference. And it's something that, uh, you know, if I were buying my own bikes, I think that that's something that I would prioritize really heavily over other things. Like um, having ridden multiple materials, like frame materials this week, I don't know if carbon would be my top priority. I think that I would prioritize one by and hydraulic. Hmm. Well, I said earlier in the show that I didn't want to give away too much about specific bikes, and that's still the case. However, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the more general kind of tech topics that we have picked up on in the last few days and ones that have been really pretty obvious. So, um, Ellen, you mentioned brakes, and I know in previous editions of Field Test, and Dave, I think you and I have mentioned this in in kind of other various circles before, one thing that is really cool, Alan, like you mentioned, is that, yeah, for sure, once you get past a certain point in like price point, that certain thing, uh, most every bike is really pretty good. Sorry, our groceries are here. If you hear some crackling our Oreos paper, are right? here. Oh, our, did you get? Did you guys get my fudge co- covered Oreos? Oh, yeah. Yes. Wait, yes. Did you really get beer? Yeah. Oh man, mm-hmm. this podcast were, just got a lot cooler. They were successful <laughs> in their in their journey. Um, Anyway, so uh, as I was saying, uh, I think Dave, you and I have mentioned several times before talking about uh, the whole mechanical versus hydraulic disc brake thing. And um, what's cool about testing less expensive bikes is certainly above a certain price point, 
most of the bikes, by and large, are really quite good, and it's mm-hmm. a lot of sort of like dissecting nuance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But at this price point, there are a lot of other things that really stick out a lot more. Um, and we had That's said make in the or past, break things, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. we had yeah. said in the past that, given the option, uh, and we still hold true. To, I think we still hold this opinion that hydraulic brakes, hydraulic disc brakes, are still better than mechanical disc mm-hmm. brakes on the whole. Yeah. However, there is an awfully wide spectrum of mm-hmm. performance in mechanical disc brakes that, yes. we've, that we've always known about for the most part, but has been really, really obvious this week. Yeah. So, And, and um, that said, even the best mechanical disc brakes we have on test are not even close to the best mechanical disc brakes out on the market. Right. They're just, but they are, there's still a massive difference that we have. Yeah. So yeah, because we've had some that were really pretty good. Um I don't want to mention what bike these were on, but like I know one that was actually quite good was um, it was sort of like the I think the te- the Tektro ver- the Tektro version of uh, what TRP calls the Spire, uh, like but those are pretty good for the most part. I think we had we've had mechanical disc brakes in this group that worked pretty well, right? Uh, there was one in particular that came on a set of bike or one set of brakes in particular that came on a set of bikes that all four of us have decided are not even just terrible, but like they shouldn't be allowed to be on a bike. Yeah. Dangerous. Dangerous. Like flat yeah. out dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I think almost two, in fact, now that I think about it, two, two bikes came with yeah, two, two different bikes. sets of mechanical yeah, yeah. brakes that were awful in different ways. Yes. Um, Betsy, what would you say was really terrible about the brakes that were really, really bad? I mean, they they didn't work. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what, what makes a brake bad? It doesn't break. Um, I mean, and it's so validating for me because like you said, I'm a little self-conscious about my tech knowledge or lack thereof. But when, when I rode that bike, I was like, these don't work. And then you got on that bike and you were like, these don't work. And Dave's like, these don't work. And you know, Ellen, they didn't work either. So, um, yeah, I think that was one cool thing about this week too. We had a lot of, we did have a lot of similar Mm. feedback from these bikes. Yeah. Yeah. Like we pretty much agreed on almost everything and then there's one or two <laughs> things we ha- we we might have a little bit of an argument to come right on. you mean you mean the ones that earned you the nickname dave wrong i still don't like that <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that mm. maybe not in this podcast but we will definitely get to that um another thing that stood out for a lot of us was uh well, I, mean, I guess maybe this is something maybe Dave and I uh, noticed a little bit more, just because we were we were a little bit more hands on in terms of the setup before uh, before we came down here to Steamboat. Um, most of the gravel bikes these days, I, I think we would all agree that tubeless on a gravel bike is pretty valuable. It's mm-hmm. just not really a great thing to have inner tubes in a gravel bike. Yeah. However, most of these bikes. I think pretty much all of them advertised to some extent that they were tubeless compatible, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Uh, I don't know. I, honestly, I can't remember. I feel like- To maybe, some extent. Like they would say like a tubeless compatible rim. Like there was yeah, some element that was yeah, tubeless there was, compatible. Yeah, there generally some mention of it in the spec sheets, yeah. But what have we run into when we actually went to convert some of these things to tubeless for this test? So a few of the bikes, um, some of them are great. Like we've we've had a few that have had tubeless tires and in some cases even tubeless rim tape and all you're having to do is add valves and sealant and away you go. Uh, some had had gone as far as to give you a tubeless compatible rim, a tubeless tire, but not tubeless rim tape. So you actually had to pull apart the wheel system, 
get the correct tubeless rim tape, you need to know how to install that uh, and install your valve and then set it up tubeless with sealant. But some didn't even give you the tires to do that. So the rim itself might be tubeless compatible, but you are basically $100, $150 away from $200 by the time you factor in rim tape and valves away from being able to actually make them tubeless ready. Which is a big deal on a bike that, you know, a lot of these bikes that we're testing here at, at Field Test are like $1,400, mm-hmm. $1,500. Like yeah. when, you, when you start factoring in the cost of tubeless tires yeah. and rim tape if they're yeah. not pre-taped and yeah. valves and sealant, yeah. like all of a sudden, and, like you said, you're dropping an extra $200 or so yeah. and you're, you're increasing the cost yeah. of the bike by a substantial percentage. And the, like, yeah, and the person buying a $1,400 bike needs to buy pedals, they're going to need to buy bottle, you know, bottle cages, they're going to need everything. Right. And then on top of that... It starts getting real expensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like Ellen, I think maybe one of your one of your earlier gravel loops, you took out one of the bikes that did not have tubeless tires on it, and lo and behold... Flatted almost immediately. And granted, the trail that we we're on was... It's maybe pushing it for a gravel bike to some extent, but it's still doable. Ellen was definitely pushing it for a gravel bike. I was definitely pushing it, but I think that's I came around part the corner the and she that tie was already flat. I, I didn't. Was, I didn't see the air I was come out. Moments of it. ahead of you, <laughs> but, it's, but it's interesting because that does that trail pushing it for the gravel bikes we're testing or for gravel bikes in general? Because I a little bit of both to some extent. Yeah, but um, I, I think that's why I really have like taken to this particular trail is it's a downhill only trail here in Steamboat, uh, and so it's like a nice kind of wide climb up, and then you get onto like slightly more tacky downhill, and so I've taken all of the bikes. I think I've ridden seven of the ten bikes here or eight bikes so I, far. Yeah, so far, and the other two are just too big for me. Um, but yeah, all of the bikes that I have feedback on, I've brought onto this trail. Oh no, that's not true. Cause I guess I haven't brought the road bikes, but anything that's gravel here, I have brought onto this trail and yeah, this particular one flatted almost immediately. But the other two, the two bikes that I had a really great experience and have very positive things to say about were able to handle this trail. So it's nothing that's outside of, I mean, we've all ridden it at this point and we can all say that the trail is pushing it. But if I were a consumer that the bike that I would be looking for would be able to handle this trail pretty handily. And this particular bike that I flatted, uh, didn't could not have, handle it, could right not handle it, flatted, <laughs> flatted immediately. It's not like I, you know, blinked the rim or anything. It just started flatting. And then, uh, if you'll let me be tangential for a second, the other thing I noticed, and we're still talking about these like more entry level bikes, uh, I needed to have a multi-tool to be able to take the rear wheel off. And that was a little bit of feedback that I had with, with these, um, through axles is that, kind of the trend is sort of taking away that um, quick release style lever. So now if you're assuming that these entry-level bikes are can be more catered towards beginner riders, uh, so now they have another barrier to entry. You always have to carry your multi-tool on you in addition to a flat kit. And that was that was a piece of feedback that I think can make biking a little bit more accessible is just keeping those little tabs on there. I feel like it's a very small thing that can go a long way. Right, L- lower the barriers to, or just make it easier to to ride and have a good time reliably in, in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you for, if you for, if you flat and you but you've forgotten your multi tool, like that's that's a big bummer. Yeah, and I think it's like it's worth reiterating that we tubeless every bike that we could tubeless with the stock tires, and the ones that 
had tires or a setup that didn't allow us to do so. We we kept with the inner tubes inside, and that's one of the ones that Ellen found the weakness in pretty quickly. Like we're talking like within the first half an hour, 40 minutes of riding that bike. Mm-hmm. Flats happen. No. Yeah. And yeah. No. <laughs> and I do, I, I should point out, and we'll have, we'll have video evidence of this too, I believe. Uh, Ellen likes to get rad on a gravel bike. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Only a little bit of evidence. The, the cameraman um, didn't the, stay the with that wheel the follow camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, both of my uh, cameramen that were supposed to follow me this week have done kind of a poor job. Mm. We're going to have to step up our cameramen. I know a really cute guy that might be able to follow me down a trail, actually. Mm. Well, we hired him already. <laughs> thanks, Aiden. Thanks for getting, a, thanks for getting us Oreos. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about frame materials because we. Uh, what's a little bit unusual about this year's field test is that we have actually five different frame materials here. So we have uh, steel, aluminum, carbon fiber, titanium, and magnesium, uh, which uh, certainly we've never had that diverse a range of materials. Um, and granted, there is a lot more to how a bike rides and just what the frame is made of. But um, would any of you say that I mean, would any of you be able to apply any sort of generalities as far as what you came into this thing expecting to feel or like or dislike about a certain material versus how you view them now that you've gotten to ride them all? Oh, a bunch, bunch of shaking heads. Is it basically, it, did basically everything come out the way you, you thought for, it would? For me, it didn't. Um, for me, like there are the stereotypes associated with certain materials. Uh, and... I guess I have experienced that those previously that those stereotypes don't line up always and that it's really more about how the materials are used. And for me, being able to back-to-back test basically five different materials, it just reinforced that that thought that it, it it's how the frame is made and it's how the components are put together and, and the, the selections of components that they put on those frames that matters more than the frame material itself. Yeah, I, I, would, I was actually going to say the exact same thing. Uh, and I think that's something that I had sort of believed prior to this week, but really feel strongly now is that it's so much more about the geometry and the tires. Um, and I think it, it's kind of comparable to a hardtail versus a dual suspension mountain bike. Obviously everyone thinks that a dually is going to be faster, but if you have a really dialed setup on a hardtail with you know, good tire pressure and a dropper, that can take you a lot further. Uh, and so, yeah, I think I had some sort of, you know, as a rider who almost, well, I'll say exclusively rides carbon, uh, I was really curious about these other frame materials and yeah, noticing when we had wider tires and I was a little bit more dialed in with my tire pressure, um, and the geometry just made such a huge difference on some of these bikes. Uh, cause interestingly, I think. One of our favorite bikes in this whole grouping was one of the less ex- one of the least expensive ones out of the whole thing, or I guess certainly toward the lower end of the spectrum in, in our group here. And it was a pretty lower end aluminum frame, right? I mean, th- I kind of want to talk about some surprises like that. That one really kind of caught us all off guard, I think, right? Absolutely. I was making fun of the bike when we got here, and we then I went out and rode it, and I was bit. like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like that bike is fun. Like I'm. I, I, I still want to just tell the everyone. The one with the itty bitty tiny tires? No, it, well, mm. it's the bike that kind of looks like a kid's bike. Oh, that bike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. 
the super fun bike, the yeah, one yeah, that yeah. had like Ellie and I just giggling. No, because you guys all bogarted been it. I never it? got to ride it. Well, the the week is young. Week That's is young. Oh, Don't sorry, you, you haven't had enough time on the bike oh, this week to come have you on the test. I was told it was too small for me. <laughs> it's not. It's it'll be fine. I, yeah. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. I was riding it, and I'm taller than you are, so I think we're. I think you'll. Mm. So there. that one's aluminum. That one is aluminum, hmm. and a, a big crowd favorite. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to talk about before we sign off on this week's episode. Um, we do talk a lot about tires and how they affect how a bike rides. And one of the things that we've been talking about for a while is how disc brakes have really changed the landscape a lot for, uh, for road bikes, as far as kind of what they're meant to do, what they can do, what they're capable of, that sort of thing. Um, because all the road bikes that I brought in for this, uh, this year's field test, one of the criteria had to be that they had room for bigger tires, I guess, specifically 35 millimeter ones. Um, and for this kind of second stage of testing for the road bikes, uh, we took off all the stock tires and we installed Schwalbe's new uh, G1 RS gravel race tire. It kind of has like a kind of like a funky sawtooth, almost slick center and like a super fast casing, uh, 35 mil wide, 700C. Um, put those on all the road bikes to see how those go. And uh, Ellen and Actually, I think Betsy, you got to ride the Cannondale a little bit with that, or no? No, the, Ellen did. I rode. You're on the Lind. Uh, are we? Are we saying? Are we using names now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ah. Well, well, I, well, no, I did say. You I, did, I did say what the bikes were. Oh, you were. did. Okay, right. I did right, say right. what the bikes were. Yeah. So yes. No, Ellen was just on the Cannondale with those, and I was on the light speed with okay. them. With them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. And Dave, you and I went for a little mm -hmm. ride earlier on a couple of those bikes that swapped over. We uh, were surprised. Like, would, would you say that the tires changed the bike that, well, I guess it kind of depends, right? Because on some bikes, it changed the personality quite a bit. On some other ones, it didn't really seem to change that much, right? Yeah, it kind of depends on where the bike started from. Because, uh, like, the, the light speed had kind of wider tires to begin with. They were just slick. And then we went to a, a tire, the, the Schwab, which was far more versatile. And you get more out of the bike at that point. Right. And I... I was on uh, the Scott Speedster, mm -hmm. which is kind of a kind of a go fast aluminum bike, is what it's meant to be. And yeah, I'm putting on some 35 mil tires. I mean, it, I think it's really important to know. And I mean, Ellen, you're certainly super familiar with this. That 35 millimeters not too long ago was considered a pretty big tire. Oh yeah, that was especially you know in cyclocross standards where 32 is the max. If you could have 35 millimeter tires, you would. Like you were riding a mountain bike, yeah. and now we're like, oh, only 35s. Ah, like, oh, this thing only has 40s. Like, can I get a 45 you can't put on there? 50s on this? Ugh. Where's my flat bar? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Betsy, I think you're. Did we say you're on the you're on the light speed? Is that what we said? Did you feel like that one changed a whole lot when you put those tires on there? Mm, I mean, not a ton. Although I'm sure it would wouldn't have been as fun on that loose gravel we were on tonight with those, with the slicks that were on it. Um, but that was one of the road bikes where I, where I had originally said, like, if I had to ride a road bike on gravel, I'd be happy to ride this one. So the tires did make a difference, but I had already like deemed that bike sort of gravel worthy even before the tires. I actually have a question for you guys. Ooh, far away. Um, I feel like I should know this. But how does tire width impact tire pressure? Like, does it, ch 
Mm-hmm. I know it does that it change, does, but how it, does it change? Totally good question. Yeah. So, um, it's not what you think, <laughs> or at least I was surprised. But you guys explain it. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to get like super, super technical in this explanation because there's a whole bunch of stuff about like casing tension and all this other stuff, whatever. But, Weird. <laughs> but generally speaking, I mean, as the tire casing diameter goes up, I guess more specifically as the air volume goes up, then you sort of just have, you have a lower air pressure in general to have sort of the same relative kind of like spring rate essentially in the tire. Um, and that's kind of what we're looking at here. So we have been using uh, Silka's tire pressure calculator for all of our recommended pressures um, in this in this field test. So depending on whatever the bike is and whatever the tire size is and the terrain type and all the other stuff, rider weight, so on and so forth, uh, to kind of just get some level of consistency. Um, so I think that's been very helpful. Thanks, Josh. Um, thanks for putting that together. Uh, so that's been very useful. Um, and so far, I think so good. I think things have been going about as we've expected for the most part. Definitely some surprises. Uh, but as I mentioned, we're gonna we're gonna start start rolling out the full reveal in August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think the the tire thing it's uh, it's one of those things that be, while we're keeping the stock tires on, and there are big variances in rim rim width and tire width and tire casing and tires like you know these are entry-level bikes so we didn't want to standardize the tires on them because often as we've discussed it's 20 percent of the bike's price or so, more in some cases so we wanted to keep the stock tires on but this is kind of our way of um trying to control the variables a bit by by finding pressures that in theory give the same sort of spring rate yeah and at least learn a little bit more just about mm-hmm. kind of like why some of these bikes are good and why they're not and like how that and how some of them could be a lot better with some very mm-hmm. minor changes mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah, but uh, it's late here, and tomorrow we're we're starting to do our reviews where we give our real opinions about each bike. We'll so. start recording them anyway. We're not going to share them with you just yet. Yeah. Gotta, gotta wait a little longer. We've certainly been sharing them amongst ourselves um, plenty this week. So indeed, I, I went and did like an extra hour and a half of an hour maybe of back to back testing just because a few of the other opinions didn't align with mine. Dave wrong. They still Dave don't. Um, anyway, <laughs> so that'll be fun to discuss. All right. Well, Dave, as you mentioned, it is getting pretty late here in Steamboat. It's been a big day. And more importantly, we do have a freezer full of ice cream that we are all pretty <laughs> eager to dig, dig into, me in particular. Uh, so with that- Says the guy wearing a snack sponsor t-shirt. <laughs> yes. This is, my, this is one of my favorite yeah, t-shirts. ice cream's These are not going to eat itself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like it's ice cream. It's meant to be eaten. I don't want to waste it, right? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, with that, we're going to sign off for this week's Nerd Alert. Thanks, as always, for listening. I know this is a little bit of a shorter episode, but we've got a whole lot going on here, and there's going to be a whole lot more rolling out soon. Uh, So again, thanks, as always, for listening. If you haven't already done so, please do give us a rating or review on iTunes because it does help us quite a bit. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss another future episode. Uh, And in the meantime, we'll see you next week when we're not in Steam mode anymore, sadly. Cheers. We will not be seeing them next week. No, we won't. And you'll be very sad to miss us. But, but (laughs) I think it is very safe to say that this is not the last you will hear on Cycling Tips from Ellen or Betsy. Yeah, it's safe to say. Mark my words. I will be back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Bye.